all the Peace River Town Council governments and priorities committee meeting to, for Monday, April 3rd um, to order at 5 p.m. Um, we have an, a, an agenda in, in front of us. Is there any addi additions or deletions? None from administration. Item number three, we have the minutes of March 6, 2023, Governments and Priorities Committee meeting. Is there any changes that needs to be made or? Councillor Good? I'll move the minutes as presented. All in favor? Your deputy, would you mind doing a motion for the adoption of the agenda? My, my apologies. Um, anybody like to make a motion for the adoption of the agenda? Councillor Scanlhorn, all in favor? And we've got the minutes on already. All in favor of uh, Councillor Good's motion? And so item number four, do we have any comments from the public? Um, seeing none, uh, next item we have presentations. And the first one on the agenda is AFCO. So our second presentation this evening was from the Peace Regional Mental Health and Addiction Addictions Task Force. So I guess we can start with that presentation. Do you want to come sit with me, please? Stacy Messner, who's also a, a, a key member in our task force team, and, and to be honest, this task force wouldn't even be around if it wasn't for uh, Councillor Messner and, and stepping up here and helping me out at a critical time. So I really appreciate all the support she's given, and glad to have her beside me here. So what? So what I'm going to do today, guys, is I'm just going to uh, rip through a real quick presentation I put together for you, really on what what's going on in, in our community and what I've what I've noticed over the years here. And um, can you guys hear me okay? Or? Okay. So one thing about me is I really like to find out what the heck is going on before I make a decision on a lot of this. So I've, although I'm I'm very far from what you would call an expert, I've I've spent a lot of different times and and had a lot of different experiences in our community around homelessness. And uh, so where I gain a lot of my knowledge from is. You know, I, I literally have slept out on the streets in our post office there with, with people experiencing homelessness. I've ran two uh, crucial data collection programs um, that helped to secure funding for our shelter as it is now. I've been in the jail. I was working with prisoners trying to get a program going with them uh, prior to release to work on their addictions um, and stuff like that. I would work through Mady Housing for two years. I was a tenant relation officer. So I got to go into lots of different types of housing and uh, see a lot of different levels of how people are functioning through the programs and see a lot of good programs and how they assisted the low income people in those houses. I uh, 
slept the very first night in the shelter and the very last night prior to us becoming a full-time shelter when we were moving it around. So that was an experience and a half right from checking in with the clients to sleeping with the clients through the night and, and walking out the door with them. I spent a lot of time on the front line too, um, you know, handing out uh, clothes and, and responding to some calls with the RCMP to, uh, to a lot of situations that were going down in, in the evenings. I've attended eight different housing conferences and uh, presented at six of them. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time prior to us opening up the shelter, covering up people with blankets if they needed it, giving them winter gear, tubes, hats, and, and stuff. And then residential schools. <clears throat> One of the first conferences I attended on homelessness, they said, check to see what residential school you have nearby and uh, see how that contributed to a lot of homelessness. And, and in this last year here too, we've seen uh, you know, quite a bit of about the residential schools, so I won't spend too much time on that. Um, and I also became a, got myself involved in some boards around health and uh, homelessness there as well. So um, over the last couple of years, I've just been looking and looking and trying to figure out what's been going on. And, and now I think we're kind of getting some headwear where I think we have some actionable solutions. When we look at the homelessness, you know, there's a standard definition that we use, and that describes a situation of an individual, a family, or a community without stable, safe, permanent, appropriate housing, or the immediate prospect means of acquiring it. And it could be from a wide range of, uh, right from people with shelter to being uh, insecurely housed on the other end there. And one thing that definitely, contrary to popular belief, is most people choose not to be homeless. And the experience is generally negative, unpleasant, unhealthy, unsafe, stressful, and very distressing. So from there, we have different levels of homelessness. We have unsheltered or absolute homelessness and living in the streets or places not intended for human habitation. And one thing I'd like to point out is through one of the data collections I did, Peace River had the highest number of people sleeping on park benches and outside than any other community that took part of that survey. And that was one of the critical data we used to actually open up our emergency shelter. We have emergency shelters, including those staying in overnight in our shelter for people who are homeless, as well as shelters, those in fact by, by family violence. We have a domestic violence shelter here as well. Um, we have the provisionally accommodated, referring to those who is temporary or lacks security or tenure. So that may be sleeping on somebody's couch or just in a room short term. So at risk of homelessness, referring to people who are not homeless, but who are current economic and housing situation is precarious. Now I've been into a lot of homes in our community, so I can speak firsthand. There is a lot of people just barely hanging on out there and uh, just barely making it. And as times are getting tougher, we can see that uh, it's becoming more prevalent. So when we look in the, in the Peace River here, what are the streams of homelessness that I've experienced and seen? Is we have children aging out of care. We had a young lad, $300 short on his uh, rent, and he just, because he aged out of care, and he was unaware that his payments stopped as soon as he turned 18. So he sold almost everything he had, and he was still 300 bucks short, and I just put a little Facebook message out there, and we had 300 bucks in 10 minutes, <clears throat> and uh, how I met this guy is he's doing community service, you know, so he's in a little bit of trouble, but he had absolutely no family. And that $300 kept him housed. A little while later, we gave him a set of work boots because he got a job. 
and we have not heard or seen from that guy again. And you know, when you think of that $300 investment, uh, we stopped this guy from becoming homeless, and, and uh, you know, and the only other re living relative he had was a brother living on the streets of Edmonton. So I, it was really interesting to see how little sometimes intervention takes care of there. But aging out of care is a very common problem for children. We have our hospitals releasing a lot of people from out of community into our community with no ways to get back home. And the bail policy, um, we also have many people being transported here and then they make their bail with no way to get back home. And poverty, that is the largest contributing factor to a lot of people experiencing homelessness right now. And we have mental health. When I was doing the survey and the data collection, I thought it was just addictions was the main reason driving our our homeless population, but mental health was the number one factor that people were experiencing homelessness in Peace River. And we have our prisons, of course, that's uh, one of the issues that we're looking at right now. Residential schools, and, and one that I omitted off this list here is, is domestic violence. We have a tremendous amount of people um, experiencing homeless due to domestic violence here in Peace River. So, our emergency room's the answer. Is this where we send people that were in distress? Well, this is where we have been sending them and they haven't been working out very well. And when we look at uh, what people are experiencing on the street, it's, it's hard to look at it without looking at really what's going on there, and that's what I hope to educate you guys on today. So, where are we now, right now, in our community with the homeless? As more people are forced out on the street by the lack of supports, the ex-offenders and the mentally ill, the public is definitely becoming increasingly more intolerant of even mildly antisocial behavior. The business people are saying the street people are bad for business, and there's a call to round up the poor who sleep on our benches and who beg on the main street. Oops, sorry. Uh, local residents are calling for strict enforcement and prosecution of laws and bylaws against panhandling, loitering, public drinking, and disturbing the peace. And rightly so. So let's take a look at what's actually happening to the homeless on our streets here. So there's a tendency to focus on the crimes committed by the homeless without also examining the heightened vulnerability to the victimization rates that are a lot higher than those that are housed. With this in mind, law and order responses to the homeless can be highly detrimental by further stigmatizing and traumatizing victims of abuse without addressing their needs. Several studies have found that homeless people are highly victimized. 46% of women and 39% of men have been physically assaulted in the previous year. 43% of women and 14% of men have been sexually harassed in the previous year. And 21% of the study's homeless women reported being raped. There was just a recent study that came out of Vancouver that 100% of the women living in the 10 cities have been sexually assaulted. So why are homeless people victimized at higher rates than the general population? So people who conduct illegitimate business on the streets but who are not homeless, such as the drug dealers, the loan sharks and the gangs, they often victimize homeless people as easy targets when they do not pay by deadlines or simply for fun. We actually have, unfortunately, certain nights during the week um, when certain events that go on that uh, it's very rough for the homeless people in our community because they think it's a good night to go out and have sport with them. So, And that happens very often, almost on a weekly basis here in our community. 
High rates of substance abuse among homeless people raise the likelihood of victimization because of greater exposure to the crime areas and involvement with those in the drug trade. Theft and physical aggression in particular are linked to the homeless people because one, there's lots of times they're carrying their own all of their personal possessions. And then victimization of homeless people, particularly the youth, is related to their social exclusion. Lots of times, you know, the youth will be pushed out of buildings, pushed out of public areas, told they're not allowed here, go hang out somewhere else. And rough sleepers are more likely to be victims of crime against the person than victims of property crime, including verbal harassment and threatening behavior and result. We actually had a, a sleeping outside campaign here held by the Glen Mary School where a teacher had to stop two um, young males from going over there and attacking the kids that were sleeping in the cardboard boxes because they thought it was the homeless people sleeping in there. So um, there's lots of those kind of stories going on out there when it comes to victimization of people in ATMs and stuff. So let's, let's look at the criminal system here a little bit as well. A lack of support and discharge planning or release from prison, they further contribute to homelessness and offending. If we look at Toronto in a two-year span, 3,000 people were released into Toronto directly from the correctional facility in homelessness. And we're, we're trying hard to find the data on what the actual numbers are for our community, but, but they are high. Sorry, I got this slide all messed up. Um, offenses committed by homeless people, they are less likely to be charged with violence offenses and more likely to be charged with property-related crimes, such as those that meet their survival needs. They're more visible because they're limited to access to private places. When a homeless person gets arrested downtown, there's many, many people that will see that go down. And some homeless people may occasionally commit minor crimes to obtain shelter or temporarily asylum, especially during the winter months as a method to escape the cold. I've run into many people, unfortunately, in our community that um, they do feel many people are after them, whether or not that's true. Some of them I do believe to be quite sick. And uh, they'll commit minor crimes just to get thrown in jail so that they can stay safe that night or, or something like that. Being homeless can lead to criminal activity, vagrancy, larceny, drug offenses, followed by imprisonment. When released from prison, individual becomes immediately homeless again, followed by more criminal activity. Often we've had some chronic homeless people in our community that used to be housed in the winter months through the prison who end up coming out of the prison owning the gangs considerable amount of money to protect them through the winter months in the prison. So it's kind of a ruthless cycle that we're sending these, these guys through lots of times. So what should we be doing? Studies show that if you home, house homeless people in a way that disperses them into normal society and then prioritize rehabilitation, employment and, sense, and social integration, we'll see a 70% reduction in crimes committed and a 50% reduction in medical emergencies, all without spending any more money. So I'm gonna rip through some actionable solutions here. So those without shelter are more likely to be victimized and more likely to be engaged in survival crimes. That's, that's very obvious for what we see in our community. So by providing housing and social and income supports to end homelessness, that is the best approach for addressing victimization associated with those experiencing homelessness at this time. We could develop municipal homelessness prevention strategies that include services such as rent subsidy for low-income individuals at risk of losing their housing. We could build supportive and transitional units that offer low-cost accommodation and provide 
sustainable funding for on-site social services and supports. We could provide on-site housing advice, advocacy and legal assistance to homeless individuals and shelters and the soup kitchens and other emergency services. And we could develop a continuum of care for those leaving the shelter system that support the, their individuals right now. And that's, that's one area where we're kind of lacking right now is we need somebody to move people through that continuum of care. We need to develop more community sports for people with severe and persistent mental illnesses who are isolated in the community. We need to work with the housing sector and ensure that more people with severe and persistent mental illnesses are housed to receive the necessary supports in our community. We need to develop more mental health services for young adults and more accessibility to services for individuals with concurrent disorders. One thing our task force is, is doing in-house here in town is we're providing training for our local police on the best practices for intervening, not just with homeless people, but people that are dealing with mental health issues. And we're looking at establishing through um, restorative justice, maybe a practice where instead of arresting people for minor crimes, that we can work through restorative justice and, and work out a win-win with our business owners and those committing the crimes instead of sending them through the court system. Now when we live through corrections, we need to offer discharge planning that recognizes the importance of stable housing for all offenders leaving the prison, as well as those held in remand. Provide transitional housing for offenders released in the community with nowhere to go. What I'm finding out is lots of times, what, um, people are banished from their community. They're no longer allowed to go back. And so we're having those people being stuck here in limbo. We need to assist the inmates in their missing identification cards and personal <coughs> documentation so they can catch, catch transportation and get home. And we need to reduce the incarceration of minor incivilities and breaches of municipal laws. We need to introduce sentencing reforms that require the judges to consider alternatives to custody when sentencing offenders when they're homeless. So we just don't just keep creating this vicious cycle. So, Let's have a look at the cost of homelessness here. So numerous studies have shown that emergency support such as homeless shelters is more costly than providing source supports to assist the homeless people to retain permanent shelter. So when we're looking at a prison, a detention center, or a psychiatric hospital, we're looking as high as $120,000 a year per patient. Emergency shelters can run as high as $42,000 per, per client. Supportive and transitional housing, we're now looking at thirteen dollars to $18,000 per client, and affordable housing with supports, three to $8,000. The estimated cost savings of providing stable housing to the homeless people in Vancouver is 30%. So we have to move beyond the shelters and the sleeping bags and the warm bowl of soup. If we really tend to end homelessness, we have to invest in housing with supports. One way we need to approach this issue that we're discovering is, is, and is working really well, is a community-based approach that brings all of our communities together. This isn't just a Peace River problem, this is a regional problem. So our task force has been getting together to set directions, we're making some decisions now, and we're, we're generating some solutions. And we're, we're trying to tackle and implement, you know, efforts that are meaningful and sustainable to the community by getting all those involved. So just recently at the RMA conference, we, we developed a resolution that went through 
and that was to provide more funding for our rural communities. And uh, this is uh, Councillor um, Carolyn Baba, Carolyn Baba from uh, Northern Sunrise, and she presented that uh, on behalf of the task force, and it was met with overwhelming response from the rest of the municipal communities. So another. Um, thing we're looking at through the task force and where we've been advocating hard with our local government and, and agencies here is to copy a mobile outreach team that's been running well in Grand Prairie and uh, this kind of lays out what they've been doing but they're a diversion team from the RCMP so they'll get calls from the agencies businesses and community members around people experiencing homelessness they'll deal with the complaints of the trespassing the loitering the encampments they'll do wellness checks They'll clean up areas that uh, may be accumulating needles and stuff. And they work seven days a week on teams of, of two with four on, four off. And they, they work closely with the RCMP and, and the medical services. And they're in touch with them there. So that's one thing that we've been working at that we think that can bring a, a, a very actionable solution here. And they'll be bringing forward here uh, a little more about how we can possibly support that. And just to end here, I've got a couple pictures here of, of the night I slept in the, in the in our post office. It was minus 44, and and this lady here, um, she would dress up like this just to go out in the streets to make sure that those experiencing homelessness were kept safe. She is not homeless herself. She was just coming out here to check on them to make sure they didn't freeze to death. And this is one of our people that was experiencing chronic homelessness sleeping in the ATM prior to the, uh, the shelter opening up. And uh, when I first started my, my homeless campaign, I was hoping to get enough people to circle the whole town, town office there with a candle saying how we cared about our community. But we got about 45 people to come out at minus 20, so I thought it was a pretty good turnout. But, uh, so we're, uh, that's kind of where we're at. I just thought I'd bring you guys up to date on, on what kind of homelessness we're experiencing, what the crime is around that, and a little bit of what the task force is doing to, to head off a lot of these issues. And, and not just uh, deal with the issues, but to deal with the root and the core issues that are, that are causing a lot of the chronic and, and uh, episodical um, homelessness. Thank you. Thank you for that presentation, Mark. Um, I guess I'll turn it over to Council. Does Council have any questions? Seeing none, uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll move on to our next presentation from APCO.
piece there. So we're going to leave that as a pretty interesting uh, um, presentation with almost as interesting with uh, I, I should introduce myself. Barry Heimer, I'm the operations supervisor at Peace River here. And with me, I've got uh, James Hammond, James, our new manager here at Peace River. So we've got a manager position here finally filled. So it's nice to see. It's support from myself and our team. And uh, to this, uh, between us here, we've got Shelly Abram. Shelly's our customer service uh, supervisor, uh, I guess out of uh, Grand Prairie Valley, but uh, Shelly uh, has uh, some team members up here at Peace River. And uh, Carol Broadridge, and Carol's our customer sales. Uh, so we'll uh, do a bit of a presentation on LED uh, lighting for the town and, and if you've got questions we're here to answer them. So uh, and of course by background I've been here at Peace River quite a while so for some of you may know me. So um, an interesting uh, the presentation we uh, we actually support a lot of the mental health stuff uh, within our workplace so it's really really nice to see that. Uh, I was really glad you actually listen to that presentation because we talked about this morning the homeless thing and we've done a bunch of videos on it so uh, quite a few uh, quite a few of uh, Shelley's team members are clerical uh, folks do presentations or Monday morning meetings uh, talking about mental health and specifically homeless this way. So it's really, really good to see that. So, but further ado, I'll turn it over to Carol and Shelley. So thank you. Well, thank you for having us. I will admit that I was the one that delayed the process, but uh, here we are to do some uh, clever driving. I have been here to talk about streetlights before, but I'm not sure how many of you here when I was here. So we'll get started. The LED conversion multiplier is a program that's been designed so a community like Peace River can convert their existing streetlight inventory that is currently high pressure sodium, HPS for short, to LED. A couple of great things about it. One, of course, is reduced wattage ultimately leads to uh, lower usage costs. For us, we love it because the maintenance is quite a bit less, the product is quite a bit more reliable than HPS, so we're not having the same amount of outages. So how does it all work? Uh, the Alberta Utility Commission, the AUC, approved a multiplier rate for conversion of HPS, high pressure sodium as I mentioned, to LED. Um, the majority Actually, all of your streetlights are on rate D61B, invested streetlights, which automatically qualifies you to uh, enroll in the LED uh, multiplier if you want to. Uh, and the LCM is applied in place of capital contribution. So instead of as a community having to come up with the cost for each head, uh, we're going to build that in for you. Contract is filed with the AUC prior to construction. And right now, the rate is 8.49%. Where are we here? Not sure how clearly that shows up on your screen. <laughs> this is the calculation that we use in order to figure out how much that percentage has to be. For those of you who are very interested in the math, I can send you a copy of this. Um, it's not the easiest process to read on here, but it is based on the fact that ATCO has within um, its service territory uh, 20,379 HPS lights. I actually think we're probably at more. Oh no, less now for HPS, yeah, more LED. Uh, just for your interest in this area, I have 13 communities uh, from Rainbow Lake to McLennan, and Peace River is my, my last one to be converting and the village of Donnelly. So we just started working on Blair and uh, we've pretty
pretty much got everybody else enrolled. So we're excited about that. You'll probably have noticed if you spend any time in those communities, you can actually see the difference in the way the lighting looks. Um, you'll notice um, on the bridge where the LED lighting is, you know, it, it is a little bit different um, of an effect. One of the reasons is, is because the light doesn't transmit up. It's geared to come down, so it's considered night sky compliant. So it's safer for um, flying bats, birds, that sort of thing. Um, and it's actually considered uh, light pollution when it goes up. So not enough to worry about sound, now we're going to worry about our lights too. This is probably the most uh, clear demonstration of, of what you're looking at uh, with going with the LED multiplier. On the left, you'll see uh, how your HPS street lights are currently. And this is 100 watt HPS. That is the majority of the lights in your town, pretty standard through residential neighborhoods and that kind of thing. So the blue portion is the ACO electric, so your distribution, etc. And the top is what you're paying to your retailer. So uh, I can't remember who your retailer is. I did look before I came. I think maybe TransAlta. And on the right, you can see that uh, with the LED multiplier and the part going to the retailer and the part going to distribution, you're still um, below your regular monthly cost. So for Peace River, you are not looking at actually putting out more money per month in order to run LED lights. So it's a good time to be um, looking at it. Does anybody have any questions about this slide? This is probably the one that people tend to ask me about the most. We'll just stop over here. Yes. Does that, that figure include the, the changeover costs or the expenses of the changeover itself? When you look at the yellow portion that says LED multiplier, right. that portion that's added every month is what is paying for that. Okay. So instead of us asking you to pay either for the labor or the actual um, heads, new heads for the lights, it's going to be worked into the monthly. Okay, so it's amortized over the program. That's right. It's, that's your, that's exactly it. So if you decide to go with the program, that is part of it. So once we get a, you, you council decide, makes a decision, and if you decide to go forth with it, it goes to the EUC for, for their approval, and then we, we schedule it in with that. So that's that's what the cost of that installation is too, right? So we remove the old high-pressure sodium heads and install the new LED lights. Uh, you also have those, the lights that are by the, uh, movie theater. They have the black davits and then they have the fancy, we call them Newport Farms. Yeah. That's an LED um, yeah. light too. So that if, you're st if you've ever noticed when you're standing there, that's specifically what you're looking at. Um, when we talk about the uh, DERS as direct energy, um, we just pick an average uh, for the actual cost of what you're paying your retailer because we don't know that. That is between you and your retailer. Uh, so there will be, you know, a little bit of variance there, but that's where we've come up with that number. So you're looking at an annual difference, which is what we're here, uh, about $31.04 per life on the 100 watt HPS. Just to clarify too, just so everybody knows, um, streetlights are built off of the size of the wattage. So when oh, we yeah. reduce and go to the LED light, um, it's a 38 compared to 100 watt, and so that's why you're seeing that reduction in the cost per month. 
That's right, and then that, that's, it'll give the same amount of lumens, the same amount of light, but as Carol mentioned too, it's a, it's a better light because it's directed downwards and more effective lighting. So absolutely, so that the wattages are different, so you're, hence your, your power bill's lower, but it still provides the same amount of light. It's, a, it's equivalent, right? So much like at home where, you know, you're trying to figure out which bulb you want. So you've got here the HPS wattage, the 100, 100 watt goes into 30, 38 watt with LED. And you have six, 616 lights that qualify. In the 150 wattage, they're down to 73, and there's 133 there. And then the 250 watt um, come down to 106 watt LED, and there's 47 of those. One of the, um, uh, some of the lights represented here are decorative lights. So you have two kinds of decorative lights in Peace River. You've got the ones that are downtown that have the little carriage fixture on top of the on top of the straight davit. So we consider those decorative and then also the new uh, Newport Arm lights, if you will. The Newport Arm lights are already LED. Um, so of course, we're not gonna need to change those over. And the carriage lights, uh, they do not become part of the program because they're not a stand, what we consider a standard light. Um, we do have LED heads for them, but they're not part uh, specifically of this program. And if I'm not mistaken, you have 108 decorative lights, but I think that's on the next slide here. So this is where we get very interested in uh, the bottom line, which is basically your summary of what you would be saving. Your, you know, once you multiply it out, this is the amount you'd save per um, HPS light per year and just as the wattages get bigger you're coming down with the total savings of what we estimate to be uh, almost $31,000. So not only are we going to do this for you, it's going to cost you less to use the LED. So it's a, it's kind of a win-win and as I said for us, our biggest, um, our biggest gain is reduced maintenance and happier customers because the lights are a more consistent product. We used to have to change out HPS lights. What would you say? Yeah, we had a five-year program to group all replacement, but we were, I was tracking it and we found out we didn't, like you usually have about 10 to 15% failure. So we just, you know, do the group bulb, hopefully bring that number down. And I didn't really find much difference. So um, I don't know if the quality of the bulbs we get from the manufacturers. And sometimes at the, uh, the uh, high pressure stream heads, the ballast will actually weaken after so much time as they're, they, we, high, high pressure will cycle, you'll see them come on off and on, so that's the time we've got to try to get there, get the ball changed, if we don't hit that cycle properly, get it changed out, then the ballast fails. So we've had, we haven't really noticed a significant difference, like I, we thought it would improve, but it hasn't, so, so uh, where the LED is very, very, actually I'm quite impressed with the light. So. Just before I left the building, our uh, service team lead, uh, Cole Robert, if you happen to have met him, he said, he said why are you going to see the town? I said, we're going to talk about LED. He said, yeah. <laughs> so, so the servicemen are also uh, thinking that this, uh, this would be a good idea. Now, if you want to look at all of your inventory, uh, I've broken it down for you here in your, uh, you've got your decorative street lights. Eight of them are already um, into the uh, LED category. And then you've got these hundred that's uh, are out there on their own. Um, you have 229 lights that have already been converted to LED, so they won't have the multiplier attached to them. It will be the, uh, they'll just maintain that rate that they're at right now. 
And then what we call private lights have also been called sentinel lights or yard lights. Uh, they come by numerous names, but they're really all the same thing. Um, and they are generally in a parking lot, a park, playground, walking path, you know, something that the town uh, pays for, but it isn't lighting a road. It's pretty straightforward. A street light lights a street. Um, the uh, floodlights uh, are probably your biggest cost here at the 400 watt, and I do have a little handout for you that mentions the cost of bringing those down um, to the LED. Uh, that is also not included in the program, but it is something we could put a proposal together for, and then uh, when the other lights are being changed, we would take care of uh, any of these other ones that you'd like to as well. So we could pretty much get an LED alternative for everything. And as Barry was mentioning with the HPS lights, uh, part of our drive especially is we can no longer get HPS bulbs. We're just using up the bits and pieces we have left in inventory. So that's why you've been seeing the HPS heads up here in the community as we go along because we are running out of those bulbs. And like I mentioned, Cole's pretty excited to be at the end of, of those. Um, so overall program availability, we are in possibly the last year uh, of the offer. Uh, we've looked at, a pro we have approximately 20,000 invested lights. In order for the program to be really effective, uh, we have to have most of them converted to LED. At this point, I think we're doing pretty well. We have a few small villages throughout Alberta that um, have chosen not to go, but most of our major centers are on their way. Shelley's been working very hard with uh, the city of Grand Prairie, um, moving their lights towards something a bit more updated. The AUC does approve the multiplier, so uh, if you choose to sign, then we submit it. Uh, we have never had one not approved. I believe it's sort of more of a tracking mechanism than anything. Um, and at some point, the multiplier will be removed when the program ends and the invested streetlights will be adjusted to reflect the remaining capital costs and maintenance savings. That's not a number we can really predict um, ahead of time, but we are going to be so far ahead with the amount of LED in Alberta that we're, we're optimistic. You have 796 HPS streetlights to convert. Uh, there's no capital cost and there will be no increase in your monthly operation costs. Yes. So who is saying, please stay out of my community and don't try to save me any money? Nobody. Uh, there was a time when this, when this program first started, the LCM, the, the actual multiplier number, was higher. And our streetlight rates were a little bit higher. And some communities just, they couldn't see it. Five years ago, it didn't really make sense to them. But since our uh, streetlight rates have come down, the LCMs come down, it, it just seems a lot more reasonable. We also have two rates available. One is the invested rate, and then one, of course, is the non-invested rate. And so the non-invested rate is about $15 cheaper a month than the invested rate. And the difference between those is maintenance. So with the non-invested, there's no maintenance, there's no patrolling involved um, in those type of lights. And so it's communities that are on that non-invested rates, they're the kind of ones that are a little skeptical about moving forward because then their cost goes up $15 per light to become invested. And then the multiplier program is only available for the invested rate. And so that's where we 
have people that are a little more skeptical. And then just to add to that, because um, we've got a program where we test street light gaps, the steel poles, the galvanized poles. So anywhere there's a lot of salt uh, contamination from the highways, there's, a, there's some pretty heavy corrosion on those. So if you're on the amount of bets going, if that light fails, falls over, you have to replace it, the municipality's on the hook for that cost. And that's part of it there. Even the, and so actually, all that your O&M covers is the bulb change. On, on, on investors, so everything else, the head, the, the davit, even a wood pole, that's all out of the community's pocket there, so if you're not invested. So, so the benefit, especially for you, is because your lights are already invested, it's really just a very simple step forward, um, and because you've already got 229 lights done, you know, we won't be at it for months and months by any means. Uh, we do have some limitations right now, um, like everybody, supply chain management, at this point things are good, However, I always like to give that caveat just because, you know, the world is not quite as predictable as it once was for us for supply. So at this point, we're good, but <laughs> I, I sit with my fingers crossed. speech and when you come down, it might help the manufacturing sector. We are definitely having yeah. issues with supply, specifically yeah. metal. Metal is really tough. <laughs> a lot of our Newport lights are actually manufactured in Quebec, so that, that gets to be the challenge for have to put in a large order so it, uh, it's, it's been a challenge for sure in the last few years. Um, also to that uh, there is uh, streetlight davit testing throughout the Peace River community this year you'll probably see them I would guess uh, late late May into June is what they're predicting they do some they do to try start places where the ground is thawed first so it takes them a while a while to get to us but it will be throughout the community and Usually I get the results in a couple of months, then they make a plan for when they'll be coming into the community to actually change out those davits. So that's, uh, for those of you that are new, davit means steel, um, as opposed to a wood pole, which is pretty self-explanatory. Um, and then the, uh, oh, lost my train of thought. The actual davit testing will be 20, or the actual replacement will be 2025. If we find poles that we consider um, dangerous, we call them white tag poles, and we will get after them right away. And I'll let you know, kind of as we progress through that system. So maybe just one more thing to add to: we're obviously working uh, with Alberta Transportation too, because with all the highway project, a lot of that hasn't been turned over to their what they call operations. So you notice there was a bunch of lights out. So I did work with with your town foreman and, and Marlene Kovic to be specific. She helped us out a bit there to see like those are your lights. So we're trying to work that through. We still got some exchanges going on too, so that that you're you know, once those are done, then we'll correct the billing on those too. So there's still a few as you're coming out the intersections, the roundabouts, which the plan is I think this spring year to do the rest of those lights in there. So I'm hoping that comes up pretty quick once the second that our existing bridge is, is operational, it'll help a lot too. So get that uh, it's a bit of confusing for you know people driving around lights are open, that's you know good to report them and then to the right uh, person that should be repairing those. So. Yes, that'd be good when that clover leaf is done for sure. So, do we have any more questions? Yes. I'm just curious if you know how much less lumens will be entering our night sky so we can see the northern lights a little bit better with all these lights converted <laughs> over. If I, if I had the other program with me, I could tell you that. Not something I've committed to memory. But, um, can you explain a little bit about tack lighting and how that fits in with this? Yeah, actually, so uh, Jim McQuaig is really, so he probably explained it to you a bit, but yeah, tack lighting is, is um, 
doing it so there's a, the lighting is more up for driving and pedestrian work. So they, there's, we space our lights out depending on wattage and height of the, the actual diameter of the pole, right? So obviously on a highway, you get a little more spread on it, so that's what TAC lighting stands for. So it's just a, a, an engineering system where we look at how we space, how far we space the lights apart. So some of your new new ports that were installed on your revitalization projects, there was a great opportunity for us to get rid of some of those old street light poles and put in a new new port dab. And so um, actually they're about the same price other than, um, you know, it's nice with the powder coating on them and stuff like that, and they're LED capable. So that's where we've gained some of that. And I've noticed there's been a bit of difference, but how much I'm not sure. Uh, but I know Jasper is one of our first communities to test quite a few years ago. And that was, again, one of the things was dark sky compliant for for that particular thing for tourism and they had some really I noticed people didn't notice a big difference. How much mark I'm not sure. So is that something that you'd like us to, to look at or Yeah, we gotta compete with yellow knife against the northern light here, so if we're darker than that we'd be a lot better. Well we, we can't make much more darkness than us, sorry. To, to we can't make the northern lights come here. That's not within Atco's ability. Uh, I wish we could though. It'd be a great it'd be a great feature. Anybody else? I have uh, I have emailed the proposal to uh, Barbara. Uh, I've brought a couple with me as well as your full inventory that is uh, capable of being converted. So all its little numbers and all that. So I'll leave that with Kayla, yeah. who I've I've spent a lot of time emailing with. But <laughs> it's nice to see her. So whatever you decide, email me the response and we'll get after it. It does take us a while to set up the project plan ahead. I think we're at about three months right now. So our goal will of course be to get it done when the weather's good. But Yeah, as soon as we get approval we can start scheduling too depending on again what, what, what council decides here. Let's Carol know. But uh, as soon as we know it's great we can order it. We do got some stockpiles. We got a few communities where I think Flair was going to be here pretty quick too. So yeah, Flair's um, next. And then, uh, yeah, they'll be here for the last community here. So as soon as you decide or let, let us know that we can start ordering some LED lights and then uh, yeah, just schedule it. Um, well, I ask, is there any questions for our new manager, too? I don't want to put him on the spot. But, uh, yeah, James has joined us here. Actually, uh, He's going to put me on the spot. Right. So James was, was here for a while, back a few years ago, as a construction supervisor, and made his way to, uh, I guess, Edmonton, Office Construction, yeah, Edmonton, High Prairie. Edmonton, High Prairie, and then now yeah. back back home where the kids are. So Yeah, so he's, he drank the water. So. <laughs> All over. <laughs> I'm glad they're actually coming to... Uh, to fix the street light that's uh, right in front of my house, it's yeah. leaning like this. So they're coming; they're actually coming to fix that this year. So that's greatly appreciated. Any other questions from council? Yeah, what happens to the uh, 700 high pressure sodium lights after you take them all down? So we we actually uh, it's a good question, right? We uh, actually take we have to take the bulbs out and we have to actually put them in a special canister because that's one thing with high pressure sodium; it gets any kind of moisture in it. Can tend to explode a little bit, so we got to be. Mm. So we send that into some baskets, and the actual metal we take the ballast out. The metal is recycled to to a metal salvagery. So and then the rest of the the bulbs and stuff are actually sent to a industry distribution center for disposal. So it's not like we just toss in the garbage. We actually do salvage the metal out. So when you actually see the size of a street light head, it, for me it was kind of surprising because we only ever see them at. 12 meters or whatever and it, it is quite a bit of stuff yeah, it is. Uh, size and the weight yeah the yeah. weight is a big thing because the guy you bet some of the, the uh, high pressure shows are quite quite a bit heavier heavy right so so now with the LED there's a, there's a lot of plastic they're very very light so. well if you're not packing them up a pole they're pretty light <laughs> <laughs> so 
No questions for James? <laughs> well, thank you very much for your presentation. Thank you. So. you bet. Thank you. Thank you. You can just call the mic. We, we gave him out. Sure. Turn the mic off. Yeah. Sure. Right there. Right there? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So there's an inventory and a proposal. So there's a sign on there. Yeah, the sign is on there. Go ahead. Thank you. Thanks. So moving on on the agenda, item six, review of bylaws and policies. Uh, number one is the taxi pass program review. And this will be acting CAO, Ms. Bell. Oh yes, that's me. reframe I'm thinking light standards there's a poll that I'm going to send Barry a, a comment on as you come off the bridge towards the cloverleaf it drives me nuts they, it's completely rusted they replaced all the other ones they're all new and not that one it, yeah drives me nuts um, tax pass program so councils passed have reviewed the tax pass policy in various forms. One of the conversations that we have very briefly touched upon and uh, did not pursue as we were updating the policy in other forms or another was the actual level of subsidy that is currently offered within the program. And specifically I'm referring to the subsidy of the cost per ticket to the client and the cost that the town then reimburses our cab companies that um, uh, submits those tickets on, on behalf of the clients after they've been utilized. Um, I provide council with some preamble about the tax pass program and attach the policy uh, for your reference and information. Um, but I'd like to get into the conversation around options at looking at um, whether or not council would like to make some adjustments to the program uh, and the subsidy level specifically. So a quick overview of our statistics. Since 2016, the program has varied in uh, annual revenues and expense for net costs ranging from 150 to $200,000. You'll see some real variation between 2019 and 2022. And of course, a lot of that is uh, COVID, the impacts of COVID. So be very careful with those statistics, hence why we pulled back right to about 2016 uh, to give you a broader picture. Um, the program did change substantially over the last five, six years. Uh, 2014 is when the tax pass program became the transportation option um, that was chosen by council based on a transportation assessment uh, report that I also reference in the document that's live still on our website if you ever want to go back for a read around transportation options that is available to you. Um, our client statistics also tell an interesting um, story. Our client base has shifted and changed. It's actually dropped in numbers overall in terms of the totals. Um, our age clients from 2019 to date uh, has shifted lower However, statistically though, we're going to be on par by the time um, we have renewals for our aged clients 
for 2023 in May. So those numbers, they, it shows 41 right now. We anticipate those numbers going back up. Uh, our family categories and, if I get this right, family and individual have been the two that have increased uh, more predominantly, predominantly the family income level category. Our seniors category has dropped as we uh, instituted a um, income-based testing for that category last, uh, 2020. Um, and the medical category in 2018 was discontinued and um, the, that category was referred up to the age and income categories or even seniors if it was applicable. We do offer the hospital and our shelters, both the women's shelter and the MAP program or the um, out of the cold shelter have access to the program. So they're captured in the two, three, but their numbers of actual usage show in a different chart of how much they actually utilize. Um, our options. We looked at a couple of different options uh, for uh, a starting ground for this conversation. One is to strictly look at decreasing the subsidy. The way we, we, we would, to propose to make this change is by asking the client to pay more per ticket overall per booklet. So I'm gonna be using a per ticket cost just for simplicity's sake. Um, where we would potentially ask the client to pay more per ticket we're proposing in this chart, for example, it's a 25 cent difference. Doesn't sound like a lot, it can add up for a client very quickly. I do show you the cost of the client per month and what that increased cost would be on every 25 cent increase to the client. Thus, you also see the decrease of the subsidy level um, by increasing the cost to the client. <coughs> we, in this particular option, we're not changing the amount of tickets available to the client. That 60 number is based approximately on about 20 rides a month, estimating about $15 a ride. So of course for every client it's going to be different. For some clients, 60 tickets could be 10 rides, depending on where they're going to from. It could be 60, 70 rides, depending on how they utilize the tickets. It, that's the benefit and also drawback of the program. It's really up to the client how they utilize the tickets. They can use multiple tickets for one ride, all tickets for a ride, or a complimentary cash with tickets to pay for a cab ride. So it, that's the bonus to the client because they can utilize the tickets what, however best it works for them. The other option that we're proposing is decreasing the number of tickets. So going from 60 a month and cutting that down, whatever that might look like, 50 tickets, 45, 55, some sort of an incremental process of uh, dropping the number of tickets. When we drop the number of tickets, there's a direct link to less cost to the town, less cost to the client, but also less rides to the client directly. Option three gives you a combination of one and two. If we, um, and, and we literally played with this at a community services board meeting at the March meeting, and I shouldn't use the term play, we adjusted 
in live format utilizing this spreadsheet if we increase costs if we decrease the amount of tickets what does that look like for the town for the client um, what does that give uh, both parties in this program for an outcome we found that um, potentially decreasing just a few tickets a month adjusting that can have a dramatic increase or decrease sorry on the cost of the town also impacts the client but if we also play with the subsidy level the increased cost that the client would pay per ticket um, maybe adjusting the two could meet sort of a uh, getting to a lower overall cost to the town in a much more um, I don't want to say rapid I'm searching for a word but maybe a consistent pace that impacts both parties the board did look at uh, the three options and is suggesting option three uh, after a lengthy conversation it gives us some flexibility in making some adjustments however we're absolutely open to feedback this is council's policy ultimately your community services board is a, a voice of the community for your reference also or you can take the recommendation and say thank you but we're we prefer a different option option four is to leave the program as is um, we always need to look at at every option available to you and that option is also available to you to leave it as is not change the subsidy level but reassess in another year or prior to the next budget process in 2024 and have this conversation again so i open it up for questions comments what is the uh <coughs> there are any inflationary pressures on the cost of the rides like so for example do my 60 tickets get me as far in 2023 as they got me in 2020 uh, there's definitely inflation uh, pressures on the cabs uh, we've seen the rates the cab rates go up over the last number of years specifically in the last year with gas prices and we see that every time if there's a change uh, an increased cost in gas prices you definitely see a change of rates your taxi bylaw does not regulate rates in the community. The only regulation component in the bylaw is requiring cab companies to post their rates. So they have the ability to change them. Um, so any change that they make at their end, yes, there's an impact then at uh, the client's end, not necessarily the town's end. It impacts the clients. The tickets don't go as far. So any move on us is kind of they're getting squeezed from either side is sort of the reality of the situation i i, I think to be upfront yes that's the reality okay. of it yeah. carbon tax didn't help did it do you agree you oh, oh gosh we're good no, um two two things i mean one i think that this the taxi fast performance envisioned as a um an income-based Overall, basically, it's income based. It's not based on other factors. It may be modified but the basis of that. The other part that I think part of the aim of the program is from the information the administration has given us in the past, 
the subsidies that we're, we're providing, 70% or 60, 70, whatever percentage, are much higher than most municipalities in Alberta, which have, if I remember you correct, around a 50% subsidy? Generally speaking, any sort of taxi subsidy type program, yes, it's usually around 50%-ish. So I think part of the thinking of where councils in the past, I mean, present council can go any direction, but I think one thing that should be brought up is that part of the thinking of councils previous was to try and get us to a more, um, to be more consistent with other municipalities in Alberta. Yes, yes. Having noted that, there's no way of doing that without minimizing the benefit to the client. That's correct. So there's the one aim of trying to get to us to where, quote, you know, kind of the, the level playing field, but it does have a cost. Well, one, there's a cost to everybody if the taxi yeah. is rich, staying up at 70% or whatever percentage that's the cost is borne by everybody, but the reduction is borne by the users. That's correct. correct. Okay. And just to clarify, Councillor Good, it's currently 85%. It's currently 85%. Yes, 85 um, yeah. Just for comparison, what was the bus? What was the bus cost? Uh, this is two hundred and fifty thousand a year. Everybody was shocked that I told that over the week. And well, which is interesting because I went back to the twenty fourteen report to refresh my memory on this, and it was closer to over three hundred, three hundred and fifty. Um, and at the time, going back to that report, we were estimating the cost of this program to be about three hundred thousand, and we've actually kept it down to two hundred. I think if I can comment, one of the other, because I was around at the time that decision was made to end the taxi pro, probably the bus program, was a couple other factors that came into that were um, minimal ridership. I think it, there were about, if my memory's correct, there's around 40 people who were out of the whole town that were that used it consistently. There were only about 40 people. The other, the other factor was at that $300,000 bill or whatever, it allowed only about two circuits. I can't remember the number of circuits it made through because it was all, all through town and it yeah. was never when people wanted it where they wanted to be at the time they wanted it to be there. Because of people, for example, staggering work times when they start, one person, if the bus is there at seven o'clock, it works for them. But if the bus isn't gonna come back until 10 or 11 or a couple hours later, it doesn't work for the people who have to start work at eight or nine or 10 o'clock. And because we, again, one of the other realities of living in a long, thin town was it was really difficult for that bus to schedule workable times to get the ridership up to where people would use it. You'd have to increase the number of buses. Well, the minute you increase the number of buses, now you're at $600,000 because it's double the cost to run the bus. You need two times the drivers, two times the maintenance, two times the fuel, two times the bus, etc. So there were some real um, kind of impediments to improving the bus service that were not only logistical, well, they were logistical, but based on the ridership itself. There were a whole bunch of factors that came into it with that. And it was just seen as to me to solve the problem by putting more buses was just so far out of reach that it was not even, that it was not considered after that point. So. Any other questions from council? 
I'm wondering uh, how many of these trips are taken to grocery stores and stuff, and maybe we can encourage our local grocery stores to maybe offer some sort of subsidized delivery service that would save a lot of passes, taxi passes being used in, in that way. And uh, with, same as drugstores, a lot of them deliver now, so people don't have to use that if we can educate people. And we've got that drive happiness for a lot of the seniors that we can encourage there. And that's 10 bucks a trip. So, mm -hmm. you know, so this is a pretty good deal. So it's 10 bucks a trip for anybody to, to go anywhere with the drive happiness deal. So, And we do anticipate once the drive, ha drive happiness program gets rolling um, and really established within the region, there's potential for a, an impact on this program. So uh, your senior clients might prefer that program over the tax pass program and maybe utilize this one less as that program um, really get, becomes more established. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought about the groceries, that's a good idea too. So administration is requesting council provide direction on the preferred framework to be used going forward. Does anybody have any ideas in which way they would like to proceed? I like options when you're combining the options so you have more control, flexibility. And I also think we're, um, it's it probably not going to be 85%. We should probably bring that more in line with other municipalities because well, we, we don't exactly have the money to begin with. But I think it would be smart to bring it more in line. We got to think with our heads and not our hearts on this one, unfortunately. Councillor Smallhorn. I'm not. Your family income at twenty five thousand, individual fifteen thousand. Is there um, how much? How much? How much breathing room is there underneath that? So, like, like would we have a significant number of families that would be at like say fifteen thousand? Like, is there an opportunity to have a graduated system or? You know, so so if I'm an individual at ten thousand, the eighty-five applies. If I'm at fifteen thousand, maybe um, my subsidy is is you know gradually lower. It sounds complicated to administer. The more I talk here, so <laughs> I'm I'm, no, I'm not advocating that this is a solution. And all you have to say is like, yeah, no, that's too hard, and I'll shut up. So. I'm just thinking of the front counter staff because they're the ones really yeah. implementing it. What, I'm not what, sure they would be go, able you to. You have to go by either their income tax yeah. statement or there's, um, there's another statement. That well, when yeah. I show up, yeah. I'm going to apply for the program. Absolutely. And what do I bring annually. to you? Yeah. What, they, what am I giving to you to apply for the program? The annual, with it, each client has to renew annually um, every spring after tax season. So that's the, it's just, we would have to have two different ticket system or something. I'm not sure how that would work. Leave it with me to mull over, but. Um, I, I don't want to send you on a 10 hour work goose chase. Oh, I wouldn't uh, go that far. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> we'll figure out fairly quickly if it's manageable or if we're, if we're doing an in, um, a subsidy reduction. I think the intent is always to incrementally bring down the entire system. Right not just
pieces of it because then we'd end up with a, a much more complex internal system. Because if you, yeah. like percentage-wise, okay, so if I'm making, a, let's imagine, we're going to pick a yeah. random number, if I'm making $100,000 and I compare to someone who's making ninety, that's a $10,000 difference, yeah. but it's only a 10% decrease. If I'm at 25000 a year and I'm down to 15000 a year, that percentage change is significant. So the percentage of my transportation budget out of is, is greatly affected, you know, kind of on those lower scales, the smaller changes yeah. in numbers result in gigantic percentage shifts. Yeah. So, so I guess that's my concern because I, I'm sure we're all thinking of somebody that maybe we know or yeah. people that we interact with that are on this program that by the end of the month, you know, they're flowing for rides and wanted tickets and, you know, this yeah. and that and whatever. And, and affording um, a ride at market rate is, is just not feasible yeah, or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Something we've discussed internally, though not necessarily um, council's realm, is breaking up, instead of the tickets, the booklets are 20. We were talking about breaking them into smaller booklets of 10. So then it, it's another way to assist the client of buying a smaller quantity as they can afford to do so, um, which might assist. It doesn't help if you don't have the funds on any increase, you don't have the funds. But it could help the client to purchase in smaller quantity, which then in turn uh, maybe makes that purchase a little more, just a slightly smidgen easier. Councillor Good. Looking at the um, option three chart, from what I can gather, um, if we are going, to, we're looking at phasing that in over a three or four year period, right? Correct. Because if I'm correct, if we went to the uh, from 85 to 65 percent subsidy, we would be doing a little over a hundred percent increase in the cost per ticket in a one year period. That's correct. So you're going from 75 cents to a dollar 75. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think your the rec and that would, is then your recommendation is this this transition to the sixty five and then continuing that until we get all things staying equal until yeah. it reaches the fifty, which means that next year it would be going to from seventy this year from seventy five to a dollar per ticket next year a dollar to a dollar and a quarter correct then to about fifty one seventy five am I correct on that that is correct. And then also a reduction in the number of tickets per month, though it's a more, less more gradual reduction. That's correct. And even that, um, the conversation that the Community Services Board had is we don't know what an increase will, um, what the impact will be. We might see a significant drop in usage, uh, client purchases. Uh, so we may not play with the ticket numbers if we're seeing a dramatic drop in how the program's being accessed by the clients. So being open to doing an almost an annual review before that next decision is made in implementing any future um, adjustments to the program. Sort of keeping in mind what's happening with those clients and some of those other pressures. Councillor Clark. Councillor Wojcik. So what happens if I book a taxi ride and it costs me 11 bucks? Am I using three tickets for that $11 ride or am I receiving change or how does that work? So what we ask clients to do to keep that in mind is to use two tickets and find some change. That's what we encourage clients to do because there can be a wastage there on for the client 
the cab company wins, the client does not, because we there's no change provided off of those tickets. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was asking. So we really... Um, um, in, encourage, educate the clients of how to use the tickets and use them wisely. Yeah. And what is the average taxi cab? How many tickets are we talking? Three at a time? Four at a time? Typically, we're, we use about a $15 ride is about what we're seeing as the average expense. But it does it up to Walmart. I think it's higher depending on where you're coming. At the very far north end, it's closer to twenty dollars. To the hospital is definitely twenty from the north end. And I think it also based on cab company too, whom you drive with. Their rates are slightly different. Councilor Scanlon, a couple things remind me about the hospital after I asked my first question. Okay. Remind me on this one. Um, so we heard tale of some or some people kind of gaming or taking advantage of the program. Is that something that we anecdotally are aware of the decrease in recently? Um, we haven't received any reports of fraud recently. The ones that we have dealt with over the last six months um, directly with two clients and then a, a, a family member or a, a family friend, sorry, yeah. assisted us with a, a, an issue with a client. Um, and we have a couple of cab companies that are, they provide us information um, when they're seeing anything also. So that's great because that open dialogue and that open communication is really assisting. We, I have not stated within the report that subsidy level change will directly link us to maybe some reduction in fraud. I can't say that definitively as a straight line. But we do anticipate that it, there's a possibility it will assist with that. These will become less valuable as the subsidy level goes down. So therefore, uh, it, it will assist with that issue. But people are much more resourceful and creative than I, and will use the resources available to them to meet their needs, whatever as, that may be. You know what, honestly, as they should, I, I, I don't, I hold no ill will towards somebody that figures out a way to make this more effective for survival, yeah. honestly, because that's what I would do. Um, so if I go, let's say I'm a client and I take a ride up to the hospital, I notice that the hospital is one of your, um, or institutions that I can yeah. purchase. So if, I, if I'm a client and I take a ride up to the hospital, am I using my own tickets to get back, or will the hospital, who's, who's the guy that you kind of leave it up to them? To, to decide, do I get a subsidized ride back from them, or am I using my own tickets to go? Because mm -hmm. like you say, from the north end of the hospital, is a long way. It is. Um, we're putting in place a letter of understanding with the hospital, because for a long time, we had, uh, they've been available to purchase the um, tickets from the, from the town to utilize in typically the emergency room if somebody gets a ride from the ambulance and now has no ride home, this is the purpose of them utilizing the tickets. Um, but we're noticing quite a, a significant increase in usage from that uh, particular location. So we're putting together something a little more restrictive around how they're utilizing them and making sure all of their staff are well versed in the purpose of the program. Because if a client has their own tickets, they should be using their own tickets for their own rides and the hospital tickets should be utilized in the event that someone has no other option. 
So when you are taken in by ambulance, you didn't bring your tickets with you because you went by ambulance, then you can utilize, the, the hospital can utilize them as a, a way to send you home. And not to other communities, because we've had a couple reports of that. You just answered. Yeah. We are making it very clear, and we've spoken to the individuals that purchase on behalf of the hospital to make sure that staff are aware. But we're going to do more work with them to make sure they are aware that this is not for long-term tip, tip uh, trips, sorry, or to Grimshaw or to Nampa or whatnot. That's not the purpose of the program. Okay, do you, is uh, administration actually looking for a motion on this or do you have a kind of a just of uh, coming from the conversation? I, I think we have a, a fair idea and we can bring back, we'll have to do an adjustment to the policy and that will be the further conversation that will have been, happen uh, at that next and the mayor's opportunity to participate also. Yeah. Any other questions from council? Oh, to bring it forward? Could we have a motion? Uh, just for motion to accept the report for information. All in favor? That works. That's carried. It would be uh, nice if you could get some testimonials of people that are using the system and sure. how it's impacting their life and stuff because it yep. is a nice system. Nice. Yeah, that's a good idea. Next item on the agenda number eight new business 2022 health and safety audit results. Health and Safety Coordinator for Town of Peace River. And I just wanted to share with you the 2022 core audit results and the action plan. So what and why? What is core and what's it all about? So core actually stands for Certificate of Recognition. Uh, it is a peer-based audit program uh, whose criteria was established by the Alberta government. The peer audit is performed by certifying bodies. In our case, it's the Alberta Municipal Health and Safety Association. And that certifying body, along with the Alberta government, they do issue that certificate of recognition if the audit is passed. Uh, passing mark for an audit is 80%. The audit checks to ensure that the, the established OHS program is working and is doing its purpose. Uh, the, the audit program is based on a three-year cycle. So the, when you have your external audit, which 2022 was an external audit for the town, that means the core is valid for another three years. And the, the subsequent years, those two years, it's an internal audit that is performed. The big reason for having core out there is called Partnerships in Injury Reduction. That is a voluntary program. Um, so as a municipality, uh, they can approach government and request to be part of PIR, which the Town of Peace River is. There are two requirements in order to get uh, benefit from the partnership and injury reduction. The first one is you got to ask CORE. 
The second one is you must reduce your WCB claims costs below the industry average. If you meet those two criteria, that provides an incentive for reduction in your premiums, uh, anything from 2 to 20%. And it's a sliding scale that we do have set up. So as I mentioned, the audit process is a, on a three-year cycle. Uh, every two years, it's an internal audit. Year three is an external audit. Like I mentioned, this year was an external, or last year was an external audit. Uh, that auditor came from uh, one of the member municipalities. Uh, typically, the audits are performed between September to December. Uh, once that audit is completed, they are submitted to uh, AMA HSA. And then you have approximately 90 days to submit your action plan to that organization. Um, when the audit does come around, one of the first things they check is to make sure that what you said you were going to do actually has been done. So the audit itself consists of 10 elements. Uh, it does uh, consist of a document review. It can, uh, site inspections are conducted at interviews with a representative sample, and that's for management, supervisors, and workers. The pass mark for an audit is 80%. It is interesting to note that because of COVID, from 2020 to 2022, they've been virtual audits with no site inspections, which made it a little unique because you could you could pick and choose what documentation was submitted to the auditor. So element one is about management and leadership commitment. So how well is the town committed to the health and safety of its workers? Uh, so it does check that policy does check that directive and its adaptation. Uh, it, the score was 96%. One of the areas of improvement, improvement noted was to enhance the communication about a worker's street rights. Uh, in the action plan is to have the current CAO sign the policy, uh, to update it to include those three worker rights, and to redraft that general safety directive to include the above and have the Joint Health and Safety Committee improve that policy. Element two is about hazard assessment. So what process does the town take to look at hazards that are in the workplace? Uh, that's what the audit checks for. Uh, they did score 93%. Areas of improvement is to update the directive to look at what's going to trigger a review of a hazard assessment. You know, has there been an incident? Has there been a certain amount of time that has gone past? Hey, we should look at this. Uh, the next one is to clarify the different elements of a hazard assessment such as job hazard analysis, uh, field level risk assessments, things along those lines. That currently isn't being done within, within the town. And the big one is to simplify what we call a risk matrix tool. The simpler we can make it, the, easy, the more employees will actually use and understand the process. Element three looks at hazard control, so you've identified your hazards, what are you doing about it? Okay. They did score 95% on it. Areas of improvement, uh, one of the areas that needed to improve on was a review of their violence and harassment policy and action items within that. Um, we have to ensure that those policies meet with legislation because there aren't changes that happened as of March 31st. And finally, to implement the hazard identification and control program. The Joint Health and Safety Committee is element four. Uh, checks the organizational structure and the functionality of that committee. Uh, they did score 87%. Uh, 
the things we have, want to look at to improve on there is to update and ensure compliance on the terms of reference to the legislation. That's the next project I have on my list right now. Uh, the big one is to implement a training program for those community members. Uh, they do have responsibilities such as workplace inspections and investigations, but if you don't train someone how to do it, you're not going to get the results that you want. And the final one that was picked up through interviews was to ensure workers are aware of who their representative members are on that committee. The big one, qualifications, orientations, and training. 91% areas of improvement is to look at the orientation and general safety directives to make sure they do cover those three worker rights. The one that's gonna take a little bit is the implement the competency assurance program for all positions and to ensure that newly hired personnel are trained and get set a established standard for that position and to implement the system to ensure that supervisors actually are aware of their safety responsibilities. Element six looks at the general protection of other parties. So what's that mean? What has the town set up to look after members of the public or contractors or visitors to our locations? What are we doing for them? So areas of improvement is we have to make sure that we address those other areas. Currently right now, the directive only covers subcontractors. And with that subcontractor, contractor selection process we want to specifically make sure that we are speaking to what are standards that they are following are they meeting our standards are they meeting their standards who has the higher standards so those are things that we have to look at element seven is about inspections they scored 67 percent uh, we want to improve the inspection directive to ensure that the Safety committee members and workers participate on the inspections. Uh, that was one of the shortfalls they found that workers were not participating in those. Uh, we want to provide training to the committee members so that they know how to do an inspection. Uh, we want to develop a checklist for inspections based upon feedback from supervisors, so they want to uh, update the one that's currently in place. And finally, we want to develop a registry to track items that are seen and then what are we doing about them and to make those available to all the employees. Emergency response wants to check to make sure that your emergency response plans are uh, in place and that people are aware of what's required of them. Uh, 93%. Uh, we want to create a tracking mechanism to ensure that all the work sites practice the emergency response. And the big one here is it's not just about doing a fire drill on an annual basis. We want to have real life emergencies that would be based upon those work sites. Element nine, about incident investigation. It checks to make sure the policy and procedures in place to investigate any incidents. Uh, the score was 82%. Areas of improvement is to enhance the investigation directive uh, to include things uh, like work refusals for unsafe work. To also have a category of reporting occupational diseases in the workplace. Again, we need to train the supervisors and the committee members about how to do investigations, and the big one is implementing a tracking tool for incident investigations to make sure that you track those corrective actions. Now, what ten is about program administration. So you have all this stuff in place. What are you doing with that information, and is your system working? Uh, score 71%. 
We need to develop a system that tracks and monitors both your leading and lagging indicators for safety. So a uh, leading indicator, those are things like having safety meetings, uh, having a hazard recognition program. A lagging indicator, you're all aware of those, that's your incidents, your accidents, your injury frequencies. We need to develop a system of uh, key uh, indicators that allow management to understand the success of the program. So what are we going to track to know that we're being successful with that program? And finally, we want to take the information that we've learned and implement a safety spotlight campaign. And what we're talking about there is once a quarter, so you'll have four spotlights through a year, based on prior things that happened the year previous. So if we have a lot of slips, trips, and falls, all right, let's have a campaign about how to prevent slips, trips, and falls, inspections, and criteria along that. And we'll do that every quarter based on previous results. The next steps, well, the audit report has been shared with all the town employees, so they've all, they have access to the copy. The committees received the copy of the audit report. Uh, working group drafted up the action plan, and that action plan was just presented to the committee. Uh, the complete, so the next step is complete those action plan items, ensure that tracking is in place, and the next audit is an internal audit that's going to be conducted starting in September. Any questions? Uh, just one for myself, does the, does the town um, use a program called e-compliance at all? Not currently, we're actually going to have to go look at that program. Right now, it's all just paper based. Okay, yeah, but if, I'm not sure if the rest of council knows what I'm talking about, but e-compliance is a it's a tracking program. You can do you can put all your your hazard IDs on there. I can do a vehicle inspection prior to me jumping in a vehicle driving it. But yeah, it is a really good program. We've used it for at the last two employers that I've been with. Yeah, and we've actually scheduled to go up to the to the mill and have a look at their program. I believe we're doing that later this week. Any other questions from council? I'm on the uh, health and safety committee for the school division, and the, the, the inspections on paper and all the other stuff like you're talking about, it's, it's a pain in the butt. It, it really is. If a guy can stroll around with an iPad or with your phone or whatever and do the inspection by form or electronic form or something like that, it would be remarkably more simple. Also, one extra prep a month to do the inspections I would not complain about either. So if that's, uh, I'm not sure what you're running into here as far as compliance with inspections or if those are getting done you know, on time, but like just, you know, making sure that those those members have, like you say, the training and, the, and not only that, but the time um, in their duties to accomplish that without just backing up all their other duties, I think would also be a, a real advantage. Absolutely. We've uh, scheduled all the committee members to take three uh, training courses with AMCHA currently right now. So they're getting the fundamentals, inspections and investigations. And once that part is done, I'll be providing the hands-on practical uh, training program. Any other questions from council? Say none, thank you very much for that report. Very Sir. informational. Okay, moving on to Thanks, then the next 
Do you want a motion now or to accept for information or after? Yeah. Councillor Good makes that motion. All in favor? That's carried. Uh, next item under new business is Peace Regional RCMP Community Advisory Committee suggested SEPTED initiatives. Good evening, everyone. So I'm here presenting a briefing note to Council on the uh, CAC Committee's recommendations to the Town of Peace River. So that uh, document that was provided by the CAC uh, is attached to this report. And in that document, they identify seven general areas with some sub-bullets uh, for our consideration. So the, those areas include uh, arm separators on seating areas, changes to our planters in the downtown, uh, enclosing building spaces, lighting and cameras, encouraging murals and repainting of buildings, shutters for storefronts and cleanliness. Um, so as we looked at those recommendations, we did note that we need to try and balance the, uh, the following of those SEPTED principles by creating an environment in the downtown that helps to encourage positive behaviors without going too far down the road of defensive architecture because we still want a downtown that is welcoming to all people. Um, but we don't want some of those nuisance behaviors that SEPTED is trying to address. So there's the balance there that we're trying to strike. In terms of the CAC's suggestions, they're kind of uh, split into suggestions that deal with our public realms. So the area between buildings that's public land that the town manages and private land, uh, buildings and lands. With, with respect to the public realm suggestions, in particular the suggestions that dealt with that, um, with that area include the one related to benches. Uh, we have nine benches along our main street right now. Six of those currently already have the bench arm separator uh, that the CAC was referring to. Uh, administration does propose to add one of those arms to the bench at uh, Subway as we recognize that that is a problem spot currently within the downtown where we, we see some congregating that isn't always positive, especially for the adjacent business. Um, with respect to garbage, uh, currently we have 16 waste bins along our main street. Uh, so we will take a review of the location of those bins and make sure we don't have any significant gaps. If we do identify gaps, then we will look at uh, budgeting for additional waste bins within our 2024 budget. Those are a bit of a costlier item. Um, in terms of the planters, uh, we do recognize that the planters, the one in particular on the southwest corner of 100th Street and 100th Avenue is an area where we do see some congregating on a regular basis that has been impactful to adjacent businesses and to the broader public using the downtown. So we are going to look at a way to try and adjust the, or add a decorative element to the planter that will also serve to discourage seating in that area. Uh, we don't know the exact cost of this at this point because we don't want to necessarily impact the planter itself. It was built on site. Uh, the capstone that is on top of that planter is one solid piece. So we'd like to try and preserve the integrity of it so that if in the future the problems that we're trying to mitigate go away, we don't end up with a planter that is 
deteriorated because we've impacted it in some way. So we're trying to come up with a creative solution. We're not sure exactly what that looks like, but we recognize that that's something that could provide some temporary relief. So once we have a plan, then we'll figure out if we have budget to deal with it now or if we need to add that to the 2024 operational budget. Um, with respect to soil, that, that was one of the other notes that was made um, by the CAC. Currently, we have not had any issues from our contractor's perspective, the ones that deal with the, uh, with the soil and the planting that happens in those planters in the summer. Uh, we haven't had any notes from them that there is a current issue or that there's a significant amount of garbage in that area at the moment. So if and when there are issues, we will certainly make adjustments, but at this point we don't know for certain that there are any that are required. In terms of the private property and the suggestions that the CAC meet that, that relate to that, um, in particular, those suggestions are the ones that prescribe some sort of change to an individual private building. Um, the town doesn't have the authority to proactively require that those positive changes are made to buildings. However, we can certainly play a role in promoting those. Uh, we are developing the business grant policy per council's direction and the budget that was passed this year. We had hoped to bring that forward at this meeting as well, but frankly, just couldn't bring the fully fleshed out policy at this point. So we're still working actively on that. Uh, but the way it is currently drafted, we are, in, among other priorities, we are including SEPTED-oriented pro property projects that as something that could be funded through those grants. Um, and those, the, the grant program is intended to encourage and support private, investments, private investment in the businesses in town. Um, and, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, can, with respect to the, the mural and painting suggestion, so that's obviously a category that the town has been addressing over uh, the last number of years. We have been encouraging murals and repainting of buildings through our mural program. And in addition to the murals that we've seen over the last number of years, we've also seen a, a solid number of businesses uh, repainting their buildings, which I think is helping to encourage uh, others to continue down that road. That will be something that we can continue to support through the grant program as well. Um, and we also have our economic development committee that is currently trying to develop a, some sort of program that will also encourage private businesses to undertake some painting of their businesses. So it's coming at our local business community from a variety of angles, uh, you know, through the mural program, through the business grant, and also from our economic development committee. Um, and I will say that our experience in terms of the nuisance activity that can be mitigated through that um, maintenance of buildings, we have certainly experienced that tagging incidents typically in our downtown happen on buildings that are not being extremely well maintained. So all of those new buildings or buildings that have new paint jobs have not, generally speaking, been the victims of, of tagging, which is good to see. Um, in terms of how we're going to address the mural budget this year, we've had some discussions at Council at, around this, and based on the CAC's recommendation to try and close some gaps uh, between buildings, we thought that this might be an opportunity to still do a public art project, but do it in a way that's addressing a different type of issue that the CAC has like, flagged for us. Uh, so, in the back of our minds for a number of years, we've had the idea where we could do a similar type of installation to the, the um, 
mural the panels that we've had kids school kids do and we've installed those along main street we can do something similar where we're using the same types of materials but creating a panel that could be installed between buildings so that we're beautifying providing some art but also providing that um that, that block Bridge. Yes, the, the coverage between the buildings so that it's identifying those those gap spots that can be problematic, which could provide both beautification aspects, you can't see the accumulation of garbage that sometimes happens between buildings, but also means that there's not a spot for people to duck into. Councillor Shannon. I, it would have, one example I'm thinking of is um, in between um, where Penn West or, or Obsidian is, and then another building, there's a tiny gap between there. Mm -hmm. And I know people that work yeah. in the area that are saying that it's full of like needles and stuff like that. Would that be a good yeah. uh, example of somewhere you would block off yeah. with the panel or what you're suggesting? That, that seems quite likely, yeah. And, and we would circle back to the CAC to help identify some of those high priority spots. We haven't determined that yet, but I feel like that's a good way to use the resource that committee represents. Uh, so that would be the, uh, the way that we would propose to use our mural budget for this year. Um, so in sum, there's about six different ways that we're trying to tackle the CAC suggestions. I don't think that we're uh, really ignoring any of them. I will also highlight, because I think I forgot to, that on the cleanliness side of things, the Economic Development Committee is also looking at um, trying to encourage our local business community to clean up around their buildings as well, and the town is looking at ways that we can support that initiative by helping to improve some communication and identify for people what is the town's responsibility versus what is theirs and hopefully get some momentum going in that general direction. So based on what the CAC has provided that this is kind of the town's approach and where we are currently with all of these. Do you have a breakdown on, on what, what each of these um, things are going to cost in your summary? Yeah. We don't. Uh, the major items, I mean the, the grants, we know that what council has budgeted for the grants this year, which is the $50,000. Um, the planters, that's a to be determined, uh, and that's probably the pretty big thing. The mural and the, doing that, that will depend entirely on the number of sites that we choose and, and the materials that we choose. The panels themselves are not the expensive thing, but you have to have a frame for the panel and a way of attaching it either to the ground or to the adjacent buildings. So that has some cost associated with it. Uh, and then you also have to be artists. So exactly how that will break down is something we'll, we'll work on. But we do have a certain mural budget within our current downtown beautification budget, which would be the pot that we'd be pulling from for that, um, that program. Um, and then beyond that, I think the only unbudgeted thing that we, we did propose that we would do is buying that bit the bench arm because that is a relatively small expense. So we can find a little money in the downtown beautification budget to cover that off. And as well as the, um, where is it? Oh, okay, I see. Okay, thank you. Is there any other questions from council? <coughs> Councilor Wojcik? Um, when you do do a breakdown, can we please have a return on investment or what kind of savings we're looking at for each one of these uh, projects? You know, what we expect to see in return by, you know, um, raising the arms or whatever. And if we looked at maybe simple little signage, like do not sit here or 
let's keep our downtown clean signs or something like that and cheerful messages there to, you know it might be another option a little cheaper than that because mm -hmm. I, I don't see any do not litter signs I do not see any uh, you know stuff like that right you know and so just sometimes these little messages go a long way like let's hey let's keep our streets clean or you're awesome for thank you you're awesome at every garbage can for putting your garbage in there you know it's simple little things we can do along that line too councillor Carp. councillor good uh, I, I mean, every time you talk about garbage cans but uh, i mean one of the pro programs that was out in the town i don't know 10 how many years ago 20. 20 years ago whatever <laughs> probably Sour name chain yeah. um, was businesses subsidizing the garbage containers by putting the, the, the signs of little squares are still there, and some of those businesses still exist. And the original plan was $250 a year for your plaque on the can. Well, there's four plaques on each can, that's a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks a can every year could go a long way to, to resolving some of the issues in my mind. And I think businesses don't mind paying for advertising in a ton of ways. And it was one of the things that kind of surprised me as a business owner is that after the first year or two, nobody ever came back asking for any more bills. So I checked with some other business, and nobody went to them either. And to my mind, that, that was a lost opportunity because, um, well, I mean, it's a lost opportunity. It's a thousand bucks a can. That, you know, if the businesses are going to put their sign on it, it shows that you care about your community enough to put something out there. It shows that you care enough about your community to help keep it clean. I'm just going to throw it out there and say, let's revitalize, take a look at, at least examine revitalizing that program. And if we're going to put garbage cans out there, can we have companies pay some freight on it? Um, you might have individuals that wouldn't mind putting their name on it and saying, you know, this can supported by such and such a person. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I myself am on uh, this committee and I read this report probably three times today and I think it's very, very well done. And it's, it's to be honest, it's a it's a great start to uh, to try and uh, mitigate some of these, uh, these issues that we are having downtown. Um, as mentioned, we're having the, uh, the downtown crime prevention meeting with the businesses. We probably knocked on 98% of the doors already. I think we have maybe 12 more businesses we yet to have invite, but we will be talking about um, like picking up garbage on the street or on the sidewalk in front of your business and kind of keeping it neat and clean. So those are all a lot of things that we'll be uh, discussing at this meeting as well. But no, I like this report. It's uh, a great start. <coughs> Councilor Carr. Um, I'm wondering if you could also get a price on, on. I know you said you're looking at other ways of doing the planters, um, but could we look at that this year? Because that is a real, real issue downtown. Like probably one of the top two or three to maybe vacate those seats. Any other questions from council? Just to be clear, that that is was on the list to do. Yeah, yeah, know, but yeah. She indicated it would be twenty twenty four. If if the the cost is yeah. beyond, but we could bring back if uh, if the cost is beyond and council chooses, we could look at uh, funding source for twenty twenty three. Okay, just to clarify, yeah. 
And uh, I've seen in, in other communities where they put those little rims around the garbage cans for people to put bottles on. That sometimes prevents people from digging into the garbage to get all that stuff up and pulling that out too. So that might save us some, some garbage problems there. Our recycle bins are open. They just open them. Yeah. We leave them open on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions from council? Okay, there's a proposed motion in front of us um, that council accept administration's briefing note regarding the suggested septet initiatives for information. Councillor Carr makes that motion. All in favor? And that's carried. Thank you. On item number nine, we have reports. Uh, the North Peace Housing Foundation board meeting synopsis. Uh, Councillor Scanlon, anything to highlight there? Yeah, sure. And these are always um, yeah, these are always one month behind by the time uh, we get them. We've already had the the next meeting, but anyways. Um, so big change out at the Kadot uh, trailer situation there with some of the. Uh, damage in the uh, trailer sickle that was formed by a leaking pipe in the, in the trailer that was essentially abandoned and, and so that was quite an interesting situation when they got there to, to check that out. So unfortunately a well-meaning program that didn't work out uh, to our uh, ultimate um, success. I think we had one successful uh, client from that project so that, that's unfortunate one close okay so one did uh, yes the one I mentioned and then another one close okay so there's that um, we are still progressing towards more of the nominal sum properties uh, being transferred over to the foundation some here in Peace River uh, now so that being uh, provincially owned Properties, provincially owned community housing that's to be transferred over to the board or uh, to the foundation for in the, essentially for for nominal sum sale. And uh, so um, that is probably the one of the bigger impacts to Peace River to keep an eye out for. Um, one of the issues we had a while back that we've almost got tied off is the Heritage Towers air handling unit uh, situation that is nearly complete. There's just a few things to finish up on that. And the last, oh, well, I'll, I'll, this, I'll give you one of Don's pet projects he's been looking into. We're looking into uh, Wi-Fi availability in our um, lodge unit. So currently, um, one of our clients that would be in a lodge unit, they can go to TELUS and get a their own internet hooked up uh, kind of thing, just like the rest of us might do in our own properties. Um, we're looking at um, possible ways that the, the foundation could, could provide that to our clients um, and give that, uh, not give, but allow that service to be available um, more readily in all of our lodges. I think uh, what we're seeing over time is those things that we consider to be utilities, power, water, gas, internet and information and connectivity is becoming more and more something that people <laughs> consider to be um, on the needs list compared to the wants list um, in terms of 
uh, quality of life and, and that kind of thing. So, so that's something that uh, we've got Don running around making calls and, and learning some really information stuff on about really good information and stuff on how on how that can potentially work in in those properties. So, um, we do want to make sure we are giving that really great service to our clients if it's possible and potential ways of um, building capacity on that service over time, keeping in mind that the changes um, in how that service is being delivered, um, just for example, Starlink, um, could render present day solutions obsolete in a big hurry. So we're trying to be forward thinking on how we come up with that solution. Last thing probably to mention, unless anyone else has any questions about the two things, um, the housing needs assessment that we did a motion on, uh, we are finalizing steps with, um, with a vendor to do that survey uh, in partnership with us. And, uh, and then that information can be available to us when it's all done, but of course that'll be a little bit more time. And then during our April 15th, the, uh, the community meeting that is scheduled for April 15th also happens to be the same weekend as our board strategic planning retreat. So um, councilors Good and myself will be unavailable for that community meeting. So please uh, deliver our regrets to those in attendance. Um, we're the only ones that can do those particular jobs. There's no alternates on, on the Northeast Housing Board. So as much as we might want to be two places at once, that's impossible. And unfortunately for that weekend, our duty does lie with the foundation. So um, Mr. Good for his employment and myself, because I'm the only one that can sit in that chair, unfortunately. So um, please bring our best wishes to those in attendance there. And if anyone has any questions about Northeast housing. Now's a good time. Any questions from council? Councillor Boychuk. Which agency are you using for that housing assessment? That is not quite final yet. So that would also be a Tammy question. Who is our uh, I think director? That's being put out. If my if my understanding is correct, there is going to be put out for RFP for a request for proposal to do it because it has to meet municipal standards in order for the in order for it to be done. So I think that that's more of what you're concerned with. No, it's just well, I know a not-for-profit that could probably do it quite a bit considerably cheaper than uh, other organizations that do it for a living. So I'm just kind of curious if you yeah, have. Yeah, there'll, I think there will be an RFP put up for that. So keep your eyes open. Okay, next item on the agenda is the MPC draft minutes, and I see that uh, Councillor Good, Councillor Carr, and Councillor Scammon were there. Anything you'd like to highlight on? Um, digital sign installation. I think we brought this up. Did we already bring up the digital sign installation last time, or was that? Because it was two meetings in a row. There was a small change. Someone is installing a digital sign in the West Hill area. And on top of that, there was a change in, it, it came to the MPC twice because there was a change in one of the AT rigs that they had for like a 60 second uh, hold on, on what the image had to be, and it's actually six. So someone's decimal point was in the wrong spot, I guess, or whatever. So that had to come back to us. Um, the other one that was very simple was uh, somebody putting in a, a secondary suite um, in the south end, and then the 
West Hill development between the Chevrolet dealership and um, No Frills was also brought to the attention of the MPC, not for the purpose of the development, but to draw their attention to possible changes to the municipal plan and the land use bylaw. So that was something that was presented to the committee. Okay, any other questions? Okay, so we have a proposed motion in front of us to accept items nine on the reports one and two for information. I talked to the most. Oh, yeah, we'll carry on. Councillor Shannon, all those in favor? In favor? <laughs> that motion's carried. Does anybody want to take a break or do we want to push through? Information items left. Okay, so item 10, we have uh, information items. One, uh, the council communications package. So I'll just ask uh, Ms. Parsons, is there anything you would like to highlight in those packages? None? Does council have any questions on it? Next item then, item two, the ACO report to communities. Is there any questions on that? Okay, proposed motion in front of us, move that council accept items 10, one and two for information. Councillor Good makes that motion, all in favor? That motion is carried. Uh, next item, key communication items. Ms. Parsons? Possibly just the SEPTED initiatives that were discussed tonight from tonight's evening or meeting. Okay. Anything else Council would like to bring up? Well, we're going to save a mint and LED lights. Not yet. Not Should yet. Council we decide to move? Yeah. That <laughs> <direction>? <laughs> well, yeah. Once you make out. that decision, absolutely. Councilor Good? Yeah, I'd like to recognize uh, Councillor Wojciech's report um, on housing and alternatives and this and I know there wasn't a lot of questions I think that, and I kind of felt bad about that except for the fact that we hear from you a reasonable amount and I think a lot of us kind of have an understanding of where you're going with this and are supportive of it so I think um, I just want to make sure that it's acknowledged that you came and gave that presentation and that you're continuing to give it to other organizations. Very much appreciated. Thanks, okay, Thank you. Um, and just to bring up for council, um, Ms. Parsons did send an email out about the trade fair, so if you could take a look at her email and take a look at the schedule and see what time you can attend and let her know would be great. Um, we have no closed session, so one more motion to go. Anybody would like to adjourn? There's nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Councillor Carr makes that motion to adjourn. All in favor? Motion carried.